It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. So we are going through a series, or at least I am, uh, on, it's called Life Lessons. It's been a really fun series uh, for me. And I think it's been invigorating for my soul to just rehearse some of the most crucial dimensions in my life. And it's interesting because a lot of these, they feel like they are similar. They're like brothers. Have you ever seen someone in a family that you look at them and go, oh, I know which family you're from. Uh, We have a family that hangs around on the campus uh, a lot and works with us called the Mockler family. And it's like you see one Mockler and then you're like, wait a minute, you're a Mockler. And they have a certain look. That's the way all these life lessons feel like to me. They're all mocklers. So they all have the same nose and the same eyes and the same eyebrow structure. Uh, There's a lot to them that is similar. And yet yet they're all very unique, just like the mocklers. If the mocklers were all here, they'd say, hey, hey, I'm I'm unique too. And that's true. Just like all these life lessons, uh, they're, they're all a unique expression of faith in Christ that has grown out of my life that as I've exercised a, a faith that forces issues, it's, a, it's an applied faith. It's not just a passive faith as, oh, I believe that Jesus is there. It's like, okay, if Jesus is true, then, and you fill in the blank. And that's, that's what's formed these, what I'm referring to as life lessons. And so this is a really big favorite of mine. It's probably one of the most significant things that has taken place in my life, and if I were to go back, I don't know what it is now, around 12 uh, years or so, when this became a very critical point, because I'd read the scriptures, and I remember actually joking in, early, in my early Christian development about, uh, you take the disciples that are like scourged, whipped, uh, beaten, and they come out rejoicing, and it's just like, uh, what do they have that I'm missing? And we would joke about that because it's like I, I would find myself criticized and immediately go down into the dumps. And I would sort of reason through it and think, well, may, maybe there's something wrong with me or maybe what they had was just something extra special. And that's what, the way a lot of modern Christians will look at it. It's like, well, the early church had something extra. We sort of have to deal with this in our own strength. In actuality, the exact opposite is true. We have the same thing that the early church had. We just need to know how to appropriate it. We need to know how to access it. And when you talk about rejoicing, the life of buoyancy, uh, as, as I said it the other day, like a Cheerio in milk, you press it down and bloop, it immediately comes to the surface of the milk. It's like, that's an incredible life. Could you imagine being a Cheerio in milk? No matter what the devil does to push you down, bloop, you immediately come back to the surface. I mean, that's pretty exciting. So this one's called The Leap for Joy. In Luke 6, we sort of see this. Jesus is setting the stage uh, for this idea. He says, blessed are you when men shall hate you. Let's just stop right there. Blessed are you. So this word in the Greek is makarios, and that's like supremely happy. Supremely happy are you when men shall hate you. Now, I don't know how you feel when people hate you, but usually it doesn't evoke happiness. And so this is such a extreme paradox of concepts here that, hey, you're supremely happy because you are hated by men. 
It's like that doesn't make any sense to us. And yet what Jesus is showing us is he's giving us the flip of how the kingdom of heaven works. That though this world turns against you, you're actually siding with the kingdom of joy. So blessed are you when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Now that's important. At the very end of that list, it says that all these things are happening for Jesus' sake. In other words, as you choose to live for Jesus, people will hate you, they will separate you from their company, and they will reproach you and cast out your name as evil. But if this is done for Jesus, supremely happy are you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I don't know if you guys have ever leapt for joy. But for most of us, we just sort of look at it as like a, it's a concept. It's not an actual doing of something. That's the way I always was too. In other words, I just look at it as, well, I don't actually need to leap. I'm, I'm leaping within. And yet for me, it actually had to transcend to the actual, to sort of break through the crust of uh, my slowness in this area or my inhibitions in this area. It's like raising hands in worship. You ever uh, done that? It's a risky thing. You, you feel like everyone's looking at you, and you're like, hmm. and you don't really, you want it to be genuine, right? And so I remember the first time I ever lifted my hands in worship, it was like this. I had my hands out in front of me, sort of like that. It was a huge deal. And then I remember I did this, and it was like up near my shoulder. And then I don't know if you guys have ever done this one where it's up near your head level. I mean, that's a huge deal. And then how about this one? Kaboom! All the way up. It's like extreme. And this is the way, and once you do that, once you just feel free to say, you know what, I don't really care what anyone says. This is for him. It's not for anything else. It's for the Son of Man's sake. And so, yeah, maybe people will whisper and say, oh, that's one of those people that raises their hands. Now, who cares is the point. It's like once you finally realize that you're doing this for the Son of Man's sake, for Jesus, it, it makes you supremely happy. It really does. And if your name is cast out as evil because you are living fully for the Son of Man's sake, Jesus, well, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And so the leaping for me has been a progression. Okay, Now, I'm not a leaping sort. I'm not a dancing sort. So I'm not the type that is going to typically be like desirous to go to dances, okay? Any kind of thing like that. When I was in high school, that was like my worst nightmare was a dance. And of course, I grew up in the age where dancing was not formal dancing, okay? You guys are all in the same age range I am uh, in a general sense. It's the, it's the ugly dance uh, era where, you know, you do this type of thing. And, uh, and there's no... There's no right and wrong way of doing it, and so you just sort of do your little dancing thing. Oh, there is. Okay, there is a right way. That's not right. <laughs> That's for sure, and I felt it too, because people would sort of look at me and snicker when I do it. I did not like any form of dancing. It really bothered me, because I didn't feel very confident in it. Well, how much more leaping? Okay, leaping, if I already feel like my dancing's a little off, how much more is leaping going to sort of move me in the wrong direction? I mean, could you imagine just sort of I mean, leaping? What does leaping look like? I mean, uh, that it says of that man that, uh, what, Peter, you know, P 
Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Uh, he held out his hand for an alm, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. What does that look like? And so, you know, in my mind, if someone's like walking, then yoo-hoo, and they're, they're jumping up and leaping. Okay, I can get that, but now I'm supposed to do that? So what does that look like if I'm walking and leaping and praising God? And so that's what I've worked on because I, that's why I have a tendency to go, well, I just do that internally. I don't do that externally. And here's what I'm saying. It's a life lesson. One of the most important things in my life is to learn how to leap. It's a very tactical maneuver. It is a very specific thing that my soul is shouting forth, is doing, and my body follows suit. So rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. This is the way all of God's people have been treated throughout the ages. It's your opportunity now. You get to participate in the fellowship of his suffering. You are joining up with the king of all kings and adhering to his name and his identity and his reputation. You should be supremely happy about this. So the word in the Greek is agaleio, it's a big word, and it means much leaping. It's a water term, actually. It's like a gusher. So it's like a spring that's shooting up. It has so much pressure in it that it is gushing out. You ever seen like an oil well that's like shooting up? Or like a geyser, like an old faithful uh, in Yellowstone National Park? It's shooting up. That's what this word is. It's a geyser. It's agaleio, and this is actually what God says, this is supposed to be inside of you. It is such an upward pressure, such an upward push that your body goes with it. Okay, so this is the concept of much leaping. You need to have agaleio. Rejoice and agaleio. So this is much leaping, a vigorous springing or gushing up of water. It's also translated as exceeding joy. You see, most of us, if we were to measure our life and I were to say, so do you have any joy? Like, well, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, it's like sort of hard to describe what joy is because it's not just happiness. It's like it's such a jubilance. It's, it's an upward pressure. It's a, it's a satisfaction. It's a knowing that God is in control. Have you ever had that where there's just such a, a goodness uh, being roused within you? And it's an exceeding joy. It goes, it's like if you were a cup, it's like, bubbles over and courses down the side. If you were holding a cup underneath Niagara Falls, it's sort of like that. It fills it up and then gushes over. This is just a massive amount of God coming into your life. This is rare, I'd say, for most Christians today. Most Christians today would read this, uh, these scriptures, but they wouldn't identify with them. So they just sort of put them off in a history book and close it. They don't understand what it means to have much leaping, or agaleio. When you go through difficulty in life, I'm going to describe it as there being two turns. There is a turn towards self-examination, and there's a turn towards God-worshipping. And I would say for most of the beginnings of my spiritual development, I didn't understand this. This is why this is such a key life lesson for me. I didn't expect to be accused when I stood up for Jesus, especially falsely accused. 
I didn't expect to be maligned and reviled. It wasn't part of what was in my uh, understanding of what Christianity was. Christianity, I mean, I grew up, and you had this prosperity gospel all over the country at the time when I was young. And so, now I didn't necessarily get taught the prosperity gospel, but all you have to do is be within a little proximity of it, and you get the notion that God wants to take good care of you. That, you know, he wants you to be well off, and he wants you to be happy, and he wants you to be healthy, and he wants you to be strong. It's not false. It's not like a false statement. It's just that there's more to Christianity than that. That God has set us here as sheep among wolves, and that he desires a testimony, and there's a great trial that is baked into the, the way Christianity is functioning. In other words, he says, pick up your cross and follow me. We're like, oh, that sounds pleasant. That sounds nice. Do you know what a cross is, though? What is a cross? It's an execution device. People die on that thing. People suffer on that thing. And God says, yeah, pick up your cross daily. Wait, wait, wait a minute here. I'm supposed to pick up a cross daily? And in a sense, that's how we live our life. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we have splinters because we're carrying a cross. It shouldn't surprise us when we face difficulties. Why? Because we're carrying a cross. That's what happens when you carry a cross. And yet, in the midst of this, when you go through difficulty, like say someone says something very mean to you. I've had very mean things said to me uh, in my life. I would always have a tendency to look inward with them. So I remember it was one of the big first test that I was going through this exact life lesson with, I was falsely accused, and some very mean things were said about me, okay? Just, that's a nice summary for it. And I remember being in a fog bank. I was really struggling with this. I was trying to get my brain straight on it, and I remember coming into our living room, Leslie and I were married, and, and I remember thinking, wait a minute, the Bible says that when you're falsely accused, you need to leap for joy. And you know how, I, how much I wanted to leap in that moment? Zero, okay? So if there was any measurement of desire to leap, it was at zero. When you are falsely accused, there's two things that happen. Your legs get weak, and you feel like collapsing, and your, your core empties of strength. And you just feel like curling up into a ball on the floor. It's weird how weak you can feel. And it's at that very moment that God says, leap. And it seems so ridiculous. You can't leap in such a moment. And I still remember that day in uh, our living room. I came home. I remember standing there and I was pondering the truth. I know what I'm supposed to do right now, but there's no power inside of me to do it. So the question is, do I do it because I feel like doing it or do I do it because God says to do it? Key moment in my life. And up to that point, I always did what I felt like doing. So if I don't feel like rejoicing, if I don't feel like worshiping, if I don't feel like praying, well then I'll do it when I feel like it. But something shifted in that day where I recognized, no, I do it because I trust him. And I trust that his ways are higher than mine. And if he says to leap for joy, then why would I argue? And so though my legs were, you know, jello-y, and though my core had no strength, I leapt. It was a, not the greatest leap in the world, okay? It was, it was sort of a you know, little thing, sort of like that, but it was real. I did what I knew to do, and what's interesting is 
there was a grace that was given me in that moment that up to that point I had never known before. It was a strength. It was a stabilizing factor. Now, what's interesting is in that same test, I remember God was teaching me a lot in and through this one challenge that I was going through, and I found myself thinking, because I wanted to be humble about this. I had had, it was about 21 things that I was accused of in this one meeting. It was a, it was a big meeting. 21 things, all of which were totally ridiculous, right? And I'm sitting there going, this is like completely made up stuff. And yet I had to listen to the whole thing and had to, and I want to be humble. That's my, my desire as a man of God is I want people to feel free to talk to me and I want people to feel free to correct me. I don't want to just be like, hey, I'm fine. You know, you keep your thoughts to yourself. I want to be able to hear it. And so it was a very unique challenge for me because I'm hearing this stuff and then I leap, I do my leaping thing, I receive grace and then the next day I was struggling again because I was saying, God, is any of this true? God, is any of this true? And here's what I found. There's a vulnerability in a time of difficulty, and that is to turn towards self-examination. And so it's just a rule of thumb. It could be another life lesson, is that is don't spend your life examining you. You have eyes to your soul, and those eyes could either focus inward or they could focus outward. And the great secret of the Christian life is to turn that gaze and those eyes upward towards heaven. And when you focus on Jesus, you know that he'll focus on you. So if there's something wrong in your life, he's more than capable of saying, hey, let's deal with that. But your job is not to dig inside and find it. Your job is to focus on him. Dig inside his word. That's what you should be doing. Focus on him. Study him instead of studying yourself. We have a great propensity as humans to study ourselves, And we think it's somehow helpful to us to make ourselves the great study. We want a PhD in our own emotions. We want a PhD in our own stuff. And God says, I want you to know me. And so as a result, when we know him, he is able to better direct us. Because our life is not about us, it's about him. And so what I'm telling you here is, is huge. When you go through Ellerslie, uh, one of the things that I always will say is, now be watchful, because as you're going through this, as you're feeling conviction, there's a tendency to start looking for more and to dig around in your trash pile and say, God, what else do I have here? As opposed to saying, God, I want to focus on you. I'll let you expose things. And if he convicts you of something, you make it right. But there are going to be things that he doesn't convict you about today that he'll convict you about next week. That's his business. In other words, your business is Jesus. His business is you. And when you do that, when you live that way, it gives you a freedom that you don't need to dig and correct yourself. You don't need to sanctify you. He will. Your job is to focus on him. So we're going to call it the two turns. The turn toward self-examination and the turn toward God rejoicing. So... In this trial that I'm describing when I was learning the leap, I also had to learn the turn because for the next two weeks after this, I found myself like, God, is there anything in me? Is there anything that is correct in this? I want to just be searched and tried and known. I, I want to be refined like silver. Please show me. And then one day, God just sort of stopped me and said, are you done? Are you done? I, I want you to be focused on me. You've spent two weeks now focusing on you. So in other words, I started with the rejoice, the leap, and I found grace, 
And then I fell for the classic tactic of the devil, which is like, but what about you? What if some of this is true? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I found myself being buried and I was in a fog for two weeks. And then that little nudge from God is exactly what I needed. Eric, up here. Do you remember the rejoicing thing we were starting to work on? Yeah. That's only found when you focus on me. Okay, so how about we do that? How about instead of you focusing on you, you focus on me? So could you imagine if you turn toward God rejoicing? You're, headed, you're looking at the kingdom of heaven. Who's in control? Jesus. And he says, and I love you, Eric, and I care about all those little details in your life, but here's a secret. You focus on me right now. And when you do, let me deal with this. It's like seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be taken care of. That's the principle of the kingdom. And it's a life lesson for me. Because I, just like you, have the propensity to think that it even feels more spiritual to self-examine and to make myself right. I need to clean this up. As opposed to saying, God, to the degree, when you show me something that I need to address, I'm going to address it. Meanwhile, I'm going to focus on you. And it's amazing. As I focus on him, he shows me things to correct. I have never been shortchanged on conviction by focusing on him. And yet, when you focus on yourself, it's, it's not just conviction. You oftentimes open yourself up for condemnation and the whispering of the devil. And so the key is, I mean, I'm giving you a key to the leaping lifestyle here. You keep your eyes fixed on God, not on self. So listen to the mindset of scripture in regards to this. The idea of rejoicing, most of us think that, okay, well, I'll rejoice when I feel like it. I'll rejoice when my life circumstances are really good. Well, and what you find is that Americans are one of, probably if we looked at it statistically, one of, have one of the lowest levels of rejoicing, maybe in the history of the world, or even American Christians. Isn't that an ironic thing? In other words, having a lot to rejoice in doesn't mean you rejoice. In fact, you oftentimes then crave more, and it's like, oh, when I get more, then I'll rejoice. When in actuality, the kingdom of heaven is based on even at the worst of moments, you rejoice. And get this. And when it, life gets really bad, you rejoice louder. That's actually the kingdom principle. And so if you're going through a struggle in life, you know what God would say? This is your opportunity. Rejoice. You see, and when you rejoice, it is a powerful maneuver in the kingdom of heaven. It's like you want to bop the devil in the nose? Well, then rejoice. It is a tremendously impacting thing to do in your life. So look at what it says in Peter, 1 Peter. We are grieved by many trials. Now, let's just analyze here. How are you doing when you're grieved by many trials? Yeah, usually we go down into the dumps and we struggle and we get caught up in our self-pity and you know, we're grieved by many trials. I mean, that's a hard thing to walk through. And yet, in 1 Peter, it says we are grieved by many trials and yet we greatly rejoice. What a strange thing to do when you're grieved by many trials. We greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy is so great. This is when we're grieved by many trials. You see, what the scriptures will always show us is that it's at the darkest times, it's at the weakest times that we rejoice the loudest. That's, that's how it works. 
You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, on a trampoline, if you're jumping up and down on a trampoline, if you're just by yourself, uh, you know, you can get a certain height. But then when you get that one guy, on the, it's usually like a dad type, that jumps on the tra- trampoline with you, and you know how he tries to, I don't know if it's like deaden your jump, or it's like, you know, get, get you off in the jump, and then it causes you to collapse. Very similar, right? When you have that, and it's negate the jump. There's a term for it. I, I forgot what it is. But if any of you have ever jumped on a trampoline, you know that phenomenon, right? And so you get that big, heavy trial on the other side of the trampoline. And what's it trying to do? It's trying to take you down. However, if you leverage that and you time your jump correctly, you know that you can jump higher. I mean, because you've got a big, heavy dude on the other side that's actually causing even a greater leap. And that's how the kingdom of heaven can work. Though the trials are greater, you can leap higher. Yeah, that trial could take you out. That's why you need to be good with your trampoline jumping. And as Christians, we need to learn how to leverage what the enemy means for evil instead of letting it crush us and letting us, let it knock our knees out from under us. So we are reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused. Okay, how are you doing if you are reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused? Okay, that's hard. That's not easy. And yet, blessed are we supremely happy are we let us rejoice and be exceeding glad okay that's not just glad that's exceeding glad again that's the cup overflowing it is so much gladness what was the circumstance that led to so much gladness Uh, they are reviled persecuted and falsely accused why would that lead to so much gladness we are partakers of christ's sufferings and yet we may be glad with exceeding joy. If you're a partaker of Christ's sufferings, doesn't that just sound like a self-pitying moment? It's like, oh, woe is us. And yet, we may be glad with exceeding joy. We endure tribulations. Oh, poor people. Can you believe they're enduring tribulations? And yet, we are exceeding joyful. Okay, this is the pattern of the New Testament. This is the pattern of Christianity. You will face trials of many kinds. And do not consider it strange when you do. But when you do, there is something that you must know to do. And that is do not turn inward and self-examine and reflect and nurse your self-pity. Turn outward and rejoice. In fact, I'm going to say it very simply, leap for joy. And when you leap, it is a tactical maneuver. It is a maneuver of faith in the soul that is literally saying i am going up because that's the way god's spirit moves despair goes down it drives you into the dirt but god's spirit will always lift us up in the darkest hour we face trials and testings and yet we count it all joy so paul in thessalonians i know that uh, was that in the service at the end did you repeat this uh Nathan, yesterday, it's a great one. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's your position, guys, do you know? You're in Christ, and this this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. In other words, you wanna know the will of God for your life? It's right here, for those of you that are in Christ, rejoice always. Isn't that an amazing statement? Rejoice always. In other words, there's always a spring in your soul. And which, which direction does it push? Up. So if you have any type of damper, any type of push into the dirt, that's not God. 
God doesn't push you down. God pushes up. It's like, well, what about my circumstances? They're so hard. Uh huh. God's uh, spring is extra uh, powerful during those moments. In fact, you leap higher in those moments. When life gets difficult, you go up higher. We are Christians. We rejoice always. The pipeline and the gate valve. So, my mental picture for you is when you enter into Christ by faith, there is a pipeline that connects from you into the heavenly realms. It's pretty cool because you can like do a twist like this and the pipeline somehow it's like swivels and so it's always connected like this. You can do flips and twists and the pipeline always stays perfectly connected and never blocked. Isn't that an amazing invention? And so some people have tried to figure out how the pipeline works and then I finally decided that maybe I should just describe it as like a Bluetooth connection because that might be a little easier to describe. But whatever helps you understand, there is a liquid pipeline. So that's why Bluetooth is hard to explain how liquid goes through a Bluetooth connection. But there's a pipeline and it's, it's full of life. It's full of living water is actually the way the New Testament will describe it. And it's pressurized, so it is like crammed full. And if you were to like put a little dent in it, it would spray out. It's like has a lot in it, okay? And so that's what I mean by pressurized. And there's a gate valve on it. Have you guys ever seen a gate valve? It's like a steering wheel looking type of thing. To open the pipeline, you actually need to turn it. And so we have a gate valve on here. And so here we are. We're Christians. And we have access to the fullness of heaven. And you know what you could call that living water? Pure exceeding joy. That's what's in it. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that, that's, that's in that. And you have access to it for every one of life's situations. Every situation, you can rejoice always. Just keep the pipeline open. I don't know why we don't. But we have a tendency to close it off and, and rest in our own emotional state and our own circumstances and try and muscle our way through. But what we really need is to access this, this life that God has given us. And so here's one of the keys. To open this, you actually have to obey. Our way of opening this is obedience. It's agreement with God. It's faith in God actually is what accesses all the fullness of that pipeline. So you face a trial, and it's, it could be a heavy one. It could be a difficult one. And I don't know what the greatest trial is that you've ever faced in your life, but... You know, just sort of stick yourself in that exact situation right now and let's replay it. Let's redo it. Let's, let's do it better this next time, okay? And so what you do when you face that trial, someone has accused you, someone has done something rude to you. Have you ever had, just felt that soul shock that comes when someone does something to you that you're not expecting? It's like, excuse me? Now, the tendency that we have is to really blow it at that moment. And we go to an old pattern known as the old man or the flesh. It's a first instinct. It's the way we've always been our entire life. But God wants to overwrite that and change our behavior. He wants to make us a new creature in Christ Jesus where all things are become new. And so he wants to train us in new thinking, in new living, in new acting. Okay, so you face a trial. What do you do? You have the opportunity right now. God says, leap. I don't feel like leaping. If you wait until you feel like leaping, I guarantee you, you'll never leap when you're supposed to. You leap because God asks you to leap. He says, could you leap? You know what happens when you leap? It's just incredible. 
When you leap in obedience to God, it turns the gate valve. You see, we oftentimes want to leap once we feel like leaping. But when you leap, the gate valve opens and now the life, the joy comes in. You know how you get the joy of the Lord for every circumstance? You obey him. You obey him and you do what you're supposed to do even before you feel like it. And then what happens is feelings follow because that's the way feelings are supposed to work. Feelings aren't supposed to lead us. Feelings are supposed to back us. In other words, as you follow the truth of God, as you obey his word, then the feelings will follow. The joy of salvation comes when you believe Jesus. You have faith in Jesus, and guess what follows? Joy. Well, that's how it always works. You believe Jesus, and what follows is joy. So our job is to be believers, not to be feelers. That wasn't what we were called in Scripture, the, the feelers uh, in the church today. Uh, we're called believers. And so as a result, what we are known by is the fact that we believe God's word. And he says, rejoice always. You're like, but I don't feel like rejoicing right now. Well, as God might say, I don't really care how you feel. That wasn't my question for you. My question was, are you willing to believe me? Are you willing to obey me? You see, when we do, the feelings then follow. The river of life. So all throughout Scripture, you have this picture of a river. And it's, I mean, most, many of the writers of the Bible actually will describe this river. It comes gushing forth from the throne of God. And, you know, in Revelation, you see it, you know, coursing through the new heaven. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's pretty, or the new Jerusalem. And it's, it's pretty extraordinary stuff. Jesus describes this river. And he says, those that believe on me, out of their innermost man will flow rivers of living water. And then do you remember the cross? When Jesus was uh, crucified, the, the Roman centurion comes up and pierces his side. And out of his side flowed a river. Most of us don't look at it as a river. But it was a river of life. You see... To the Jew, blood is life. So what flowed out of Jesus' side was, was blood and water. So that's life water. That's living water that is flowing out of his innermost man. And so what God, Jesus is showing us is that this is how we as Christians function. You see Jesus on that tree? That's how we function. You see, we lay down our life, and as a result, out of our life will flow a river. It'll be a river of life. But that river is also, it says in Scripture, it's what makes glad the city of God. Isn't that an interesting statement? It makes glad the city of God. And so the city of God has been made glad, which you could say is New Jerusalem, is the bride of Christ, is made glad because of that river that flowed out of Christ's side. But there's also a river that's supposed to flow out of our side. So imagine that God packs you full of a whole bunch of life a whole bunch of joy, a whole bunch of love, a whole bunch of peace. How does it come out? How, how are we going to get that living river out of you? What's the secret? You see, most of us are like, well, I don't know. How, how does it get out? Well, how did it get out of Jesus? Well, we don't like that way. He suffered. He was pierced. And what came out? When you suffer, when you face difficulty, what comes out? That's when the good stuff comes out, if the good stuff is in there. So if the good stuff is in there, when we suffer, it's actually the opportunity to showcase to all the world the power of what God has done inside of us. We shine as Christians in our darkest moments. 
That is our hour. We shouldn't fear that moment. We should cherish that moment. Thank you, Lord, for drawing this out of me. Thank you for using me as a vessel to communicate your life, to give your life, to give your joy, because it is supernatural. When someone is going through difficulty, all these things that we read about in the New Testament, grieved by many trials, reviled, persecuted, falsely accused, all these things, I mean, these very normal humans, not us. We're not normal humans. We're Christians. And what comes out of us in those moments? Rejoicing, leaping. I mean, that's extraordinary. And we have, the, we have the opportunity to participate in such a life. So the point of the spear, this is what drew it out of Jesus. This is what draws it out of your life too. Can you guys think of any points of spears in your life right now? Sometimes it's a person. It's like a point of a spear in our life. That one person, boy, they irritate me. Well, start leveraging that. Instead of just being irritated by them, rejoice. Rejoice. Let the life of Jesus flow out of you. Some of you, it's circumstances. It could be financial. It's like, oh, yeah, I know that one. That point has been in my life for quite some time. Some of you, it's circumstantial, and you're facing situations that are crushing, weighty, well, guess what? All of this is good for any of life's circumstances. You don't just have to be falsely accused to leap for joy. You could face trials of any kind and count it pure joy. In other words, this is good for every moment of every day, and that's why Paul says, rejoice always. And in Philippians, he says, and again, I'm gonna tell you guys, and again, I say, rejoice. You know, the whole book of Philippians, if you could say it, is like gaining God's mind on life. It's like, hey, put on these glasses. You're wearing, hey, let me take off those glasses. Let me, let me put on the right glasses for you. It's called the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ. And you're like, whoa. And you look out of these glasses of Christ, you're like, wow. Are you, are you saying, God, that that's the way you see things? He's like, yeah. Isn't this fun, looking at life through my glasses? Well, it, looking at life through these glasses, my, my terrible moments are actually opportunities. That person that's really irritating is actually a great opportunity for me to love. You're looking around going, hey, this is all good stuff. Because when you take off the glasses, you put back on your old glasses, what do you look at? It's like, oh, woe is me. I have so many difficulties in life. Life is so challenging. Get those off. Don't wear those glasses. Stick on his glasses. And have the, the Greek word is phroneo of Christ. The lens of Christ where you can see things through his lens. And when you have the attitude of the mind of Christ, you recognize that to suffer is an opportunity to save. To give up life means to receive it in greater fashion. To take the lowest place as a servant means to actually be taken a higher place in the kingdom of heaven. It's like these are opportunities, this is, this is amazing. That means no matter what the enemy does to me, it can be turned to good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And God nods, he's like, you're getting it? That means I can be fearless. He goes, that's right. That means I can rejoice always. That means I could give thanks in all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going, keep going. This is the life of a Christian. Leap for joy. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We have been given the glasses of Christ to be able to appropriate and to look at each situation. And when we obey Christ in those darkest moments, what we find is joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's pretty good. I love this statement. This is our finishing touch. 
in John 16, 22. Your joy, no one will take from you. Joy is a trust. God has given it to us. He's given us this pipeline. And the devil can't cut us off from that pipeline. You know what we can do? We can close it off. We can give up our joy, but the devil can't take it. We can give it up. The devil can't take it. In other words, if you catch that, wait a minute, so you're saying if I don't give it to the devil, he can't take it from me? That's right. You can have joy for the rest of your life in an ever-increasing measure. And the devil can't steal it from you. It really drives the devil crazy. He does not like it when Christians are joyful in their dark moments. But you can be. And as a result, you can drive the devil crazy by rejoicing in all circumstances. That is, I mean, you know, many of us would love to give the devil a black eye. We'll do. By rejoicing always. Rejoicing in every circumstance. You might as well be the happiest person that ever lived on this earth. Why not? We should have a competition in here to see who can be the happiest person this next week. Wouldn't that be great? And then I don't know what kind of trophy we give, but it, it would be, uh, it'd be fun. It'd probably be a trophy in of itself just to be the happiest person this last week or this next week. So, all right, guys, you ready for that competition? I think that sounds like a fun thing to do. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We submit to you. We are expectant to see what you will do. I pray that there would be a response to this in each of our souls, that we would not just hear the truth, but that we would appropriate it and apply it. Lord, that you would grow us stronger and that we would learn to actually leap and that we wouldn't stay with our feet cemented to the ground, but that we would go up. Lord, that you would train us to be vigorous in our leaping. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.